mercy and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day, Lord, for keeping us on sides. Lord, for protecting us when the devil would seek to draw us across the line. Lord, we would ask this day as we dig deep into your word that you would break it small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray. Amen. Over the past few weeks, we have engaged with the Offsides message series. And in doing this, the language that we have tried to use to illustrate what this looks like in our walk of faith is the way that God calls us to live on the offense and the way that the devil stands on the other side of the line constantly trying to draw us offsides. To draw the foul and break the rules. This morning, I would invite you to turn your attention to our second reading from James chapters 3 and 4. If you've brought your Bible along with you, we begin in the 13th verse. You can also follow along with the sermon outline available in the back. And if, for whatever reason, you have missed a Sunday in the series, or you want to go back and re-listen to a Sunday, you can find all of those sermons either on the website, or you can subscribe to them as a podcast in iTunes. Humility, peace, and faithfulness always walk hand in hand. Very rarely will you encounter someone who is just a genuinely, amazingly good-hearted individual, and at the same time, it's all, hey, look at me, look how good I am, I am just the best person on earth, and oh, aren't you so lucky that I was here to help you? but rather it's usually such that the one who makes the greatest impact is the one who wants the least amount of recognition. They want to be able to stay back away because it's not about them. In our epistle reading this morning, the author in James is speaking very specifically who is wise and understanding among you in other words who knows better by his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom Not in the pride of it, not in the boastfulness of what you know, but rather in the meekness. Pride and jealousy and selfish ambition distract us away from where our hope lies. And actually, the writer says this morning, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist... There will be disorder 
and every vile practice. See, these are the things that make the victory and the success dependent upon our abilities. Where we have these great monumental success stories and we say it's all about the hard work that I put into it and I just pulled myself up by the bootstraps and I just got to it and man, look at how great this thing that I built is. But the question becomes, when that begins to crumble and fall apart, then where do you go? If it's all about your ability, when it falls apart, when it breaks down, then what? You see, as people of faith, when we take hope and confidence in the things that God does in our life, we give thanks in the building and we give thanks in the breaking. Because both are edifying in the life of the believer. Don't be distracted. There is a greater demonstration of wisdom and peace in humility and sincerity than there is in fighting to be heard. When we talk about taking a knee these days, it evokes all kinds of visceral responses because there is somehow an association with a whole different narrative. And while that is a cause that should be heard and listened to, that's not what we're talking about today. When we talk about taking a knee, we are talking about it in the same sense that you would before your king. See, in the days of feudalism and fiefdom, in the Middle Ages, when you would go to gain an audience with the king, you would kneel before them and ask for the right to be heard. You would take a knee. And see, when a player takes a knee in football, they do so to receive coaching. The coach calls all of the players in and then asks them to take a knee while he provides instruction or praise. But see, when it's about us, we don't take the knee. Instead, we want to stand eye to eye because we want them to know that we are just as important as they are. We want to be eye to eye with the king and remind him that he has no authority over my earthly life when in reality God has placed him there for that very reason. Players take a knee to receive coaching. When I was in high school, 
The coach called us all together after a really terrible game. He said, take a knee. He said, I'm not going to yell at you anymore. Sweet. (laughs) So we get up, we go about, and the next series of plays, he looks at us and he starts to vocalize this guttural yell and instead he turns and looks and there is an entire flock of geese that received his wrath on the other end of the field. Sometimes the instruction that God gives, like he does in his word today, calls us to humility. What causes you to quarrel, the writer says? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? See, a quarterback also takes a knee in victory formation. He takes a knee to stop the play as soon as he receives the ball. And this can be done strategically for a number of reasons, but one of them is to occasionally demonstrate a greater show of sportsmanship. When you know that the victory has already been assured and you have everything that you need to win, then instead of running up the scoreboard and humiliating your opponent, you take a knee. And in other times you do it to protect the ball. Taking a knee demonstrates submission, respect, and a sense of lowliness. Lutherans aren't genuinely very good at the practice, but you will occasionally see a Catholic friend kneel and genuflect as they make the sign of the cross before they enter the pew in worship. Now, it's a practice that, as Lutherans, we could very easily adopt, and it would be rightly placed, but there's a reason why it's done. Because in that act, there is a recognition of our humility and submission and lowliness before God. The book of James itself is one that is Not always an easy read for our Lutheran ears. We are grace people by nature. That we are saved by grace through faith so no man can boast. And so for that reason, our ears kind of perk up on things that sound like what we call works righteousness, where we somehow perform actions and do deeds to earn a right standing before God. And so Luther himself wrestled with the book of James because it says things like, faith without works is dead. And yet, even Luther himself would recognize and affirm that faith 
is also seen through action. Through the fruits that it bears. In other words, it's where we put our money where our mouth is. Where we seek order when the rest of the world gives itself over to disorder. But we can't play on both sides of the line either. We can't look and say, man, this is a whole lot of fun here. But then, you know, I'm going to come, I'm going to spend my time there, and then I'm going to come put my time in in church. And then, you know, it doesn't really matter what I do over here because I can come and I can receive forgiveness. I can sin boldly, right? Have you heard that phrase? And what that actually means is that we have grace that covers all things, and so because of that, the way that we live should actually reflect that grace. Not in the sense that I go out and I just do whatever I want, and I don't care about the consequence because I can ask for forgiveness, but instead because I know that they have an impact. And I know that it hurts people, and I know that it hurts my relationship with God. We are always at war within ourselves, and we walk a fine line between self-destruction and redemption. Within our own bodies, we deal with jealousy and pride and selfishness. And within our life together, we quarrel and argue and we align ourselves with the world. The way that the devil works is such that he seduces us to straddle the line. To tell us that it's okay to have feet in both worlds, that you can be both hot and cold at the same time. And God says no and demands demands that we stay on sides. He gives us his law to show us in clarity what that life together is supposed to look like. And it's not just follow these rules, but now God in Christ also says, because you have broken these rules, this is how we fix things. This is how I reconcile you with one another and you with me. Our writer this morning says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You cannot be hot and cold. You cannot be somewhere straddling the fence in between. You have to make a conscious choice not to accept Jesus. We're not talking decision theology here. We're talking the daily dying and rising, the struggle between the old Adam and the new Adam. 
between the saint and the sinner. That choice where you say, I know what I'm about to do is wrong, but I have the choice to either not do it or do it anyway. Enmity with God. Does that sound familiar? The writer in James is actually drawing his hearers all the way back to a narrative that is as old as the foundations of the earth. He's taking us all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Satan has now convinced the woman, tempted her into sin, and Adam has followed, and now God comes, confronts the sin, and then passes down the curse. And to the serpent, he says, I will place enmity between your offspring and hers. And his heel will crush your head. See, there's law and gospel in that statement. By definition, enmity, as Merriam-Webster's dictionary describes it, is positive, active, and typically mutual hatred or ill will. Right? As a parent, I am very, very, very cautious about hearing my kids go, well, I hate this. You know, hate's a really strong word. Why don't you say, I really dislike broccoli? But here, interestingly enough, Hate is not a strong enough word for how God feels about sin and things that separate us from him. And so he says, enmity. God has enmity. He hates that which separates us from him. Because only that which is pure and righteous and holy can stand in his presence. Now think about that in the context of our living and why he calls us to a hard line. We are called to take a knee in humility with faithfulness that God's game plan is better than our own. And so what does this look like? How do we do this? Over the past few weeks, we have talked about acts of service, intentional discipleship, and invitations to worship. And so I would ask this week for you to consider, how can you, as an act of service, be an agent of reconciliation? We are called out of jealousy and pride to act in a way that surprises those in the world around us. And so I would challenge you, 
reach out to someone from a different background or experience or story and actually get to know them and show an interest in who they are as a fellow creature in creation. Right? It's an amazing thing that happens when we can actually look past political differences or social separations or any other kind of wall or barrier that we put up between ourselves. And we actually go, you know what, I really care about you as a person. Sit and listen. Understand their side of the story and pray for an opening to share God's side in it. How can you take a knee to extend and receive forgiveness? You see, like so many other things, the best way to be intentional in our discipleship is to actually model it, to take away the stigma of doing things that are otherwise uncomfortable so that when we develop a level of comfort with actually seeking and receiving forgiveness, that it's a lot easier for those around us to know that they can do the same with us and in turn with those around them. See, this is the whole purpose of private confession and absolution, and it is also why it has some of the biggest benefits in the life of the believer. Because it's one thing to make a general confession and say, I am a poor, miserable sinner. Well, yes, so am I. But the sins that you carry that burden you, that weigh upon your conscience are not necessarily the same as your neighbors, and you need to hear the freedom that comes in confessing those sins specifically so that you can hear the words of forgiveness that lifts them from your shoulders and sets them upon God's. Confess and be unburdened in receiving God's grace and demonstrate how to do so for those around you. With invitations to worship, how will you take a knee in prayer this week? We are called to not just pray for those whom we love or for the least of these, but to actually pray for our enemies and those that we are at odds with. Right? That is totally uncomfortable and it's a whole lot easier just to say let them be and they can have their own issues and instead God says oh by the way I love them too pray for them because that red blood that runs in your veins also runs in theirs that heart that beats in their chest oh yeah it beats the same way in theirs Those things that hurt you, oh yeah, it hurts them too. And now we're not talking about the specific ways, but we're actually saying, guess what? God made us all creatures in the same kingdom. Ask those around you 
how you can pray with them and then pause and actually do it in that moment. I have to tell you, I have seen our teachers at Anchor Lutheran actually do this in class. And they begin and end the day this way, and they take time when they know there's something that a child is struggling with, that they actually stop and pray with the student. They model what that looks like. And then guess what? That student goes home, and what do you think they're doing at home with their parents? And if the kids can do it, then so can we. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So that God always gets the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.